Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Amen. Our God is faithful, is he not? It's so good to see uh, each one of you this morning. Uh, Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We play a lot of hide-and-seek at the Tonneson House these days. Uh, As of late, it's become a favorite game, both of William and Serena. It's one of the oldest games around, isn't it, right? And, And rightly so. It doesn't take any special equipment or to play or any special set of skills to, to engage. All, all you need is a, is a play set of forwards, right? Some hiding places and some friends or some family to play with, right? And uh, one person is it and the rest go, I don't know why I'm going to even tell you that. You know how to play hide and seek, don't you, right? <laughs> but at the Tonneson house, there's a, there's a bit of a, a twist. Uh, you see, inevitably, as soon as I count to ten, and say those semi-magic words, ready or not, here I come, William jumps out from wherever he is hiding and shouts, here I am, Daddy! (laughs) How difficult is it to find somebody who isn't hiding? (laughs) It's not very difficult, is it? It sure is fun and cute, but it's not very difficult. (laughs) In Amos chapter 5, our sermon text for this morning, the Lord God repeatedly tells his children to seek him. And it's not as if he has been hiding from his children. No, the Lord God is is right there out in the open. They have turned away from him and begun to follow idols and false gods, the gods of the nations around them. And time and time again through the prophets, the Lord repeatedly calls out to his children to seek him, to find him, to run to him. And yet time and time again, Israel did not heed that call, but ran further from the Lord by continuing to trust in peoples and and in nations rather than the Lord, by continuing to do evil rather than seeking to do that which is good. And as a consequence for their sin, the Lord said that judgment was coming upon Israel and upon Judah. And that's what the first four chapters of the book of Amos are all really about, the punishment that was coming on Israel and on Judah. And here in chapter 5, no less than three times, the Lord invites his people to repentance, to turn from their faithless worship of him, and to return to a life of faith in him. So let's uh, let's look at the first of these invitations together this morning. And it's in Amos chapter 5, verses 4 through 9, where the Lord tells his people, Seek me and live. Would you stand with me out of respect for God's word as I read this first portion of scripture here? Again, Amos chapter 5, verses 4 through 9, reading in Jesus' name. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, do not enter into Gilgal, do not cross over into Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel shall surely come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. 
O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Amos. We thank you for chapter 5 and these invitations to seek you. Seek you who is not hiding from us, uh, but you're there out in the open. And you invite us to eagerly return to you in repentance and faith. And Father, we pray that uh, even if we are trusting in you, that we continue to heed these words and, and turn from our sin and turn towards you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You caught it in those verses, didn't you? Uh, The Lord repeating himself and and twice saying to his people, seek me and live. Again, the usual reason that you seek something out is that it is hidden, right? Hidden and and sometimes lost. I've got a a watch that I'm I'm pretty sure is hidden somewhere in our house by one of my hide-and-seek partners. (laughs) I've, I've been looking for it, seeking it for a while. Uh, probably more than a month now, and I haven't been able to find it. But the call to seek the Lord, again, is not because he is hiding himself from us and must be searched out. The call to Israel to seek the Lord was a renewed call to take up their spiritual pursuit of him. This was something that by Amos's day had been all but abandoned by Israel as they had forsaken the Lord by starting to worship the deities of the nations that surrounded them. They became polytheistic in their religious life, worshiping the Lord and, and then you would fill in the blank, right? The Lord and Baal, the Lord and Molech, the Lord and. And unfortunately, as they worshiped the Lord and, they also abandoned the true worship of him, taking up wrong ways to worship. And so the Lord calls his people back to himself. And as he does so, he chastises his people for looking for him elsewhere. They were looking for him at false shrines. And you see some of those three false shrines that the Lord specifically warned his people about in in verse 5. Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba. And many of you might be familiar with some of those Old Testament places. Uh, Important events, both historically and spiritually, happened at some of these places. And Israel had, unfortunately, and and recklessly turned these points or these places into into false places of worship. Uh, For example, Bethel was the place where Jacob camped after fleeing from Esau, his brother, uh, whose, whose birthright he stole. And while he was asleep, Jacob dreamt of the ladder, right? And the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And there the Lord spoke to Jacob, promising to give him and his descendants all the land that he could see. And the Lord also promised to be with Jacob wherever he went. Pretty cool promise, right? However, by Amos' time, Israel had turned all of those places into a false shrine for worship. King Solomon's son, Jeroboam, built a golden calf there and told the people that the golden calf was the God that brought Israel out of Egypt. Kind of like Aaron did before. He would have thought they would have learned their lesson, but they didn't. And so through Amos, the Lord tells his people not to visit those false shrines, not to worship the false gods that were there. 
And a similar thing had been happening in places like Gilgal and Beersheba. At these places, neat things had happened in the past, and these were places that the Lord met his people. But over time, his people had brazenly turned those places into sites of false worship and worship of false gods. And so Amos condemns attendance at these shrines because they had become substitutes and poor substitutes at that for serving the Lord. Those of you who are uh, able to cook and adept at cooking know there are certain times, right, when a substitution uh, is good, right? You can substitute bar- butter for margarine and you can get away with it, right? Uh, there are other things, too, that you could, that you could substitute. Um, my wife today substituted mayo for eggs and the brownies that she made for the potluck. We'll see how that one goes, right? <laughs> Um, but there are, there are times when you, when you just cannot substitute one ingredient for another and end up with, this, with the same result. And Sorry, Liz, I'm going to pick on you again for this one here. <laughs> I remember a time when I was under the weather and uh, Liz was going to make me some chicken noodle soup because we didn't have any of you know, the Campbell's cans or, or anything like that in the, in the pantry. But our, our pantry and our refrigerator must have been pretty bare because we did not have any chicken, so she substituted turkey. And we didn't have any noodles, so she used rice. <laughs> the soup tasted good, but it was no longer chicken noodle soup anymore. You took out the two main ingredients, and you do not have chicken noodle soup. <laughs> Sometimes you just cannot substitute and have the same result. And Amos says you cannot substitute for the, the worship for the one true God for false gods or for false shrines. Instead, Amos encouraged Israel and us today to turn to the Lord, the Almighty Creator. Look at verse 8 again. It's on the screen, but look in your, in your Bibles or in the bulletin as well. He who made the Pleiades and the Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Amos directs our attention to the Almighty Creator by first turning our attention to the stars, right? He names two of these. uh, And this Almighty Creator flung the Pleiades and the Orion into being. And most of us are are good enough at, at astronomy in our amateur astronomy state to find the Orion constellation in the clear night sky, right? Second to the Big Dipper, the Orion is probably one of the most notable uh, figures out there, right? I, I think it's because of the, the three stars that make up his belt and, and whatnot. I think he's supposed to be facing us, and so he's got his shield on, on our right and his left hand, and then he's got either a club or something in the other hand and, and whatnot, right? Um, so that's Orion, and we can usually find Orion in a clear night sky. And if you follow the trajectory of the, of the three stars off the belt of Orion, you eventually come over here and you see this group here called the Pleiades, all right? The Seven Sisters. And on a good night, you should be able to spot at least six of them with the naked eye. And if you have a telescope, you'll be able to see around 14 of them. But in reality, the Pleiades are a cluster of over 1,000 stars and star clusters in there. And the Lord God is the almighty creator of those stars. He spoke and they came into being. He spoke, and their light stretched instantly from them a million light years away to us here. 
The Lord God spoke, and the earth was formed, mountain, hills, valleys, seas that fill the ocean. He spoke, and life came into being from nothing. He is the one, Amos says, who keeps the earth spinning, causing the rising of the sun each morning and its setting each evening at the end of the day. The Lord God Almighty causes the rain to fall, watering the crops, providing an abundant harvest. This is our God, Amos says. The Lord, the I am that I am. The Lord is his name. Why would you worship a poor substitute when you have the real almighty creator who calls you to seek him? Seek the Lord and live. And there's a second invitation for repentance from the Lord uh, to his people in Amos 5. In verses 10 through 17, the Lord tells Israel to seek to do good and not evil so that you may live. Look at these verses here. Amos chapter 5, verses 10 through 17. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Because you trample on the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him. You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, who turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live, and so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good. And have a step and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. For in all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I shall pass through your midst, says the Lord. There's quite a bit packed in those verses, aren't there? But it really distills down to two key things. First, there are at least eight evils mentioned which Israel and which all believers need to avoid. And in verse 1 and 2, Amos mentions uh, two things that are very closely related. One evil to avoid is hating the one who corrects you. And the second is similar, abhorring the one who tells you the truth. Nobody likes to be wrong, do they? It's no fun, it's not pleasant to be reproved, to be corrected, is it? Now, the project that you spent all week at work working on, dedicating yourself to, all of a sudden comes crumbling down when the boss comes in and tells you that you need to start over from the beginning, start from scratch. A teacher who calls you out publicly in class for falling behind on your work. There are times when correction or reproof might be given in a, in a gentle way, like a, a mother painstakingly helping her child learn to tie her shoes, or a father teaching his son how to play catch. But often reproof comes in, in stronger tones, and the truth sometimes hurts, doesn't it? And, in, and often instead of seeing the truth and uh, the truth in their words and heeding their advice, 
We instead become angry at the messenger, right? How dare you correct me? Believers, we should be humble when we are corrected. And when somebody shares the truth, even though it's a truth that might hurt us, we need to be humble in hearing that truth. The next three evils we could lump together as well. In verse 11, Amos reproves Israel for these things, for trampling the poor, for robbing the poor, for looking out for their own interests instead of the interests of others. And the Lord, again, through Amos, seeks to correct the Israelites and for their neglect of these less fortunate while padding their own bank accounts. They've built beautiful houses out of stone, the Lord said, while taking advantage of the poor and taking taxes from them while those poor were exempt from taxes. The people of Amos' day had become so inwardly focused, focused on themselves, that they did whatever they could to get ahead in life, even if it meant taking advantage of those who were least fortunate among them. But in, in 2021, that's not us. Is it? No. <laughs> I think we're far better than they are, aren't, you? aren't we? Yeah. We don't, we don't put our interests over the interests of others, do we? No. We always look out for others before ourselves, don't we? <laughs> the final three evils mentioned are, are in verse 12. The Lord says, For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. And then he goes on to say, You who afflict the righteous, you who take a bribe, those who turn aside the needy in the gate of the city. The city gates were important gathering places in Amos's day. Within the gates of the city, business was conducted. Property was bought and sold. Court was held. The, the rich, the landowners, the important people of the day would gather together at the city gate. And these were people who had it in their power to help the poor, to help the needy, but instead... They had all become corrupt, focused so inwardly on themselves, on their own comfort. And the Lord condemned them for their sin. But again, it's, it's 2021, and we're better than that, aren't we? In the New Testament, James goes on to talk about the relationship between our faith in, in Jesus and our works, the outward actions done in love towards our neighbor. And he says these convicting words. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? How often do we hear of or even witness the plight of our neighbor, you know, the, the guy who's going through a hard time with an illness or unemployment, and we say simply, I'm praying for you. God bless you, or things like that. But then we don't do anything to help their situation. James says, what good is that? We not, may not be taking bribes on a daily basis or actively repressing a certain group of people, but we do have neighbors whom we have failed to show the love of Christ to in a real, in a tangible way on a daily basis. And instead of pursuing evil, Amos says God's people are to be actively engaged in seeking that which is good. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. These verses not only serve as the focal point of this invitation to repentance, but to Amos chapter 5 and really to the book of Amos as a whole. 
Again, the Lord is calling his people away from the evil and to the good that they should be seeking. Look at these verses, verses 14 and 15, one more time. Seek evil. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Seek good and not evil, that you may live, so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Again, for the last four chapters, Amos has been declaring that Israel was under God's righteous judgment for their evil, for their ungodly living. And here, in Amos 5, Amos calls Israel out of their faithless living and back to God. It just might be, Amos says. It may be possible that God will have mercy and grace on us. How? By seeking that which is good, Amos says. So how do we know what is good? It seems that everybody has an opinion these days on what the definition of good is. And most of these opinions seem to be contrary to each other. One person says Pepsi is the better pop. And the rest of us disagree. (laughs) One person says that it is good that we live and let live but another person holds to an objective moral standard. One person defines reproductive rights as good, but another person declares that abortion is murder. One person defines marriage as being between one man and one woman, but another has a freer interpretation of that. So how do we know what is good? When we are in doubt as to what is good, even, I suppose, if we, if we are confident that we know what is good, We need to look to the Lord's word to find our definition. The Lord has given us this, his word, inspired inspired by him, mostly to point us to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who loves us and who gave himself up for us. He also gave us this word to be our guide, which helps us navigate life. We find guidance not only in passages like the Ten Commandments and Philippians 4, 6 and and Romans 12, love without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, but we find it in all of Scripture. And no, it's true, right? His word doesn't tell you which college to go to, which job to take, who to marry, how many kids to have, but he does give you general principles by which you are to guide your life and find your definition of that which is good. So when in doubt, return to his word. Take your definition of good from here. And throughout his word, the Lord tells you that it is good not only to avoid evil, but that you seek good, that you are actively engaged in the pursuit of righteousness, goodness, and and justice. And justice, the Lord uses that word a couple of times throughout Amos 5. And justice has become one of those buzzwords of late, hasn't it? And sometimes it, it might make us cringe as, as it's applied to things that maybe it shouldn't be applied to and things like that. But, but justice in its elemental definition is a positive thing that Christians very strongly need to pursue. Justice, defending that which is right and just and true sticking up for the little guy, doing the most good for the most amount of people, doing that which is just and fair and impartial. And the Lord would have each one of us be actively engaged in the pursuit of justice, not simply be a passive observer 
in it. Our engagement in this isn't to be some sort of pie-in-the-sky uh, adherence to a, a philosophy or, or limited to the purchase of a yard sign. Justice ought to permeate into every aspect of your life. In, in your business dealings, you are to be fair, treating others with respect and decency, not taking advantage of them. As employees, you are to be fair and just with your coworkers and with your employer, not giving them a half-hearted effort or, or continually milking the clock. As parents, we are to treat our children with justice and fairness, not showing partiality to one another, but treating them each with, with respect and dignity. And as children, you are to do the same to your parents. As students, you are to approach your studies diligently, not cheat your way through classes. As citizens, we should celebrate when wrongs are, are justly punished, but we should also be the first to speak up when the punishment does not fit the crime. In our personal lives, we are to live rightly according to God's word. We are to make sure our character conforms to him and to his word. I could go on, but it's sufficient to say that justice ought to permeate every aspect of your life. Seek to do good and not evil. And now as we, as we speak of justice and doing good, it's, it's important to recognize, believer, that your salvation is not dependent upon your good works, your doing good. As the Lord calls you to do good to your neighbor, he isn't commanding you to earn your salvation and your favor before him by your acts. Far from it. Christ has already won the victory over sin, death, and the devil when he gave his life on the cross. There he died in your place and on your behalf to bring you the salvation, the forgiveness, the grace of God that you could not earn by your good works. And as those of us who have been redeemed by Jesus, fully trusting in the atoning death of Christ on the cross, we are to live out our lives in service both to our Lord and to our neighbor. Your faith in Jesus manifests itself in good works of love for God and for one another. You're not saved by what you do, but your salvation is shown by how you live your lives. Seek to do good and not evil. And there's a third and final invitation for repentance from the Lord to his people in Amos chapter 5. Uh, in, in verses 18 through 27, the Lord tells Israel that he despises faithless worship. So Israel was to seek the Lord faithfully. Let's just look at a couple of verses here, verses 21 through 24. And I, as I do, remember that this is the Lord God speaking here. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is some strong language from the Lord, isn't it? I hate, I despise. The Hebrew phrase could also be translated, I reject with an utter hatred. And so what does the Lord hate so intensely? What does he despise so passionately? It isn't a gross sin or an egregious miscarriage of justice, 
But the Lord hates, he despises Israel's faithless rituals. Don't come before the Lord and worship engaged in faithless rituals. The feasts, the solemn assemblies, the offerings, the, the songs of worship and praise, they had become for Israel acts of faithless ritual. And now that's, that's not a, a fault of the prescribed worship itself, right? Remember, the Lord God himself established these ceremonies and these customs. He told his people how, when, and where to worship him. And if you've forgotten some of that, go back and read Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It's all in there, right? Those books prescribe in, in great detail how Israel was to come to the Lord in worship. And it was through those sacrifices and offerings that the Lord brought forgiveness to his people. And all the law pointed forward to the one who was to come and to fulfill it all, Jesus. The problem wasn't with the worship. Um, it wasn't a fault of, of the giver of the Lord as well. The, the problem was, was the heart behind the worship. The people had become lax in their worship uh, trusting in, in the rituals themselves to save them, not the one who prescribed the rituals. The Lord had asked his people to seek him in worship, but they had chosen their own way, a hypocritical, hypoc that's a tough word to say this morning, <laughs> hypocritical, less than heartfelt worship based in faithless rituals. And in our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus roasts the Pharisees for that very thing, for worshiping the Lord with faithless rituals while forgetting to seek good and not evil. The Pharisees went as far as tithing the mint and the dill and the cumin, uh, little weightless herbs that they grew in their gardens while neglecting the weightier, the more important things of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And I know it's the, it's the dead of winter and springtime is, is a far-off daydream, right? But, but think forward to that time and to your garden, right? Could you imagine being so callous to the Lord that you come and you give 10% of all the herbs that you grow in your garden to the kitchen in the back while adamantly refusing to donate to the, to the food pantry and all while taking bribes to pad your own bank account and all while harboring continuing hatred in your heart towards your neighbor? That's what the Pharisees and the Israelites in Amos' day were doing. They were majoring in the minors, if you will, living in sin, all while trusting in the rituals that they habitually carried out. There is, however, a healthier prescription for proper worship. Instead of worshiping the Lord with faithless rituals, the Lord would have us come before him in spirit and truth. Jesus told the Samaritan woman that much in, in John chapter 4, verses that served as our call to worship this morning. Jesus told her that the Father was looking for people who would worship him in spirit and truth. Worship is, and, and always has been, a matter of the heart. It's never been about location or posture. We worship the Lord, the God of our Father, Jesus Christ, in spirit, in our hearts, and in truth, in faith, and in belief in Jesus, not in faithless ritual. And some have looked at some of the, the elements uh, at a worship service like at, like at Maranatha, elements like the confession of sin or the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and bemoaned them as faithless rituals. How can you get something out of something that you do every week? The logic is, I suppose, that repetition implies carelessness and inattentiveness. 
I suppose, but just the opposite is true, right? We all build our lives around routine, the day in and the day out, the patterns of our life. Uh, Children and adults thrive on routine, a pattern to organize your life around. So yes, we do need to be careful that we don't approach worship as a faithless ritual. But we also don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater as well. The Lord loves your worship, worship of him that's done in spirit and truth. And so all that remains after hearing from Amos is to worship the Lord. Worship him in spirit and in truth while not neglecting to love and to serve your neighbor. When we fail at this, then we will fail, right? Take comfort in the fact that we have a God who is eagerly seeking us out, calling us to seek him out, turning to him in repentance and faith. He is waiting to receive us with open arms. Amen. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for Amos chapter 5. I thank you for the words uh, that we've heard today, Lord, and we do pray that you would have your own way in our hearts. Father, we pray that you would call us out of our faithless, uh, faithlessness into a life of faith and truth in you. Help us to worship you, not, not just in, again, faithless ritual, but in spirit and in truth. Every time we come here, every time we sing songs to you and pray to you, thank you that you've called us to seek you, Father, and we pray that we would continue to seek you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.